I guess uh, I need to let you know why I have this on. You're going to see, believe you me, I'm, I'm not going to wear it the whole time. You're going to see, I'm going to try to make a point, okay? And, and as you're turning your Bibles to 1 Peter chapter 1, you're going to be in uh, verse number 13. Hopefully this will all make sense to you. Hopefully, prayerfully, this will make sense to you. Verse number 13. We're going to go through uh, verse number 16, as I've already alluded uh, two, I don't know if we're going to be able to get through all three verses because verse number 13 is so full uh, and uh, we don't want to just kind of glance through this. Here, I'll remind you, Peter is writing this letter and he's writing this letter uh, to those who have been persecuted. He's writing this letter to those who have lost everything. He's writing to a group of people that have been displaced. They're in, a, uh, they're in a, uh, a land that they're not familiar with. Uh, and when I'm talking about persecution, I'm talking about they're, they're, they're losing their lives. And the only reason why they're being persecuted is because of their faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And so Peter is writing this. And uh, remember when he opened the letter, he was uh, giving them something to shout about. And then as he moves on through, we see there's two themes. There's the theme of, uh, of glory, uh, and then we see there's the theme of suffering. And that's where we're at tonight because he's trying to, uh, he's wanting to encourage them. And so he's writing to believers, and uh, he's... Uh, God, of course, when I say uh, uh, Peter, I'm not saying Peter just thought this up. I mean, we understand uh, uh, that it's the Word of God. God told him what to write, okay? I, I, mean, I mean, understand this. Peter just didn't say, hey, I'll just write something that's going to be encouragement. He heard from God, okay? And, and, and so he's, he's writing what God would have him to write. And so as he's writing this, he's writing to believers He's uh, in his mind, he says, what's going to encourage a believer who's going through suffering? And we're seeing in verses 13 through 16, there's three things. Notice he says, we need to focus. Now, you, if you have children or grandchildren, you probably use that word quite a bit. With, with mine, it's, you know, you've got to get them uh, and, and you've got to get them and, and you've got to say, look, look at me, look at me, look at me. And, and, and he said, now you need to focus. Do you understand what I'm talking about? No, really, I'm serious. You need to focus. Do you understand what Papa just said? Yes, Papa. I said, Okay. 30 seconds later, doing the very same thing that we just had that little discussion about. We're talking about focusing here. Because we have, as believers in the Lord Jesus Christ, have to be focused. Matter of fact, that's the problem uh, within the church today is we've lost our focus. And so he says, uh, what do we need to focus? First of all, he says, and we find this in verse number 13, he says, we need to focus on grace. When we focus on grace, then we're also going to focus on salvation. Why do we know that? Because our salvation is based on grace. We're saved by grace, not of works, lest any man should boast. 
And so he, and in that, he gives us three ingredients or three subpoints that come under the umbrella of grace. Then he tells us that we need to focus on obedience. And then the third thing that he tells us to focus on is holiness. And so he's, he's, he says, now, I know you're going through difficulties. You, you need some encouraging word. There's somebody here tonight that needs some encouragement. You're going through some stuff. You're going through a trial, a tribulation. You're going through suffering. Now, we're not just saying, uh, we're not just uh, isolating it to physical. We're talking spiritual. Okay? We, we all are struggling, are we not? By the way, we also need to realize that we're in a war. Now, the war is a spiritual war. And, and so he says, you need to focus. Now, the first thing that we see in verse number 13, oh, listen to what the Word of God says. It says, wherefore, gird up the loins of your mind. The first thing that if we're going to focus upon grace is that we got to get our minds ready. The battle starts here. If we can get our minds right, the rest of it will flow. Okay, y'all got that? He says, now, wherefore, gird up the loins of your mind. The second thing, be sober and hope. Now, Hope what? Hope to the end for the grace that is to be brought unto you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Now, verses 14 and 15, we see that we're, we're concentrating tonight on verse number 13. The first thing it says is to gird up the loins of your mind. Now, that's a very interesting word. Understand the context in which he's Back then, they would men, uh, they would wear robes. And he says to gird up. We also see the word usage in Ephesians chapter 6, where he talks about putting on the belt of truth. Now, what, 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 what's the significance here? He says... You need to gird up. And, and, and in Ephesians 6, the reason why they need to gird up and to put on the belt of truth is because they're gathering all the loose garment that's around them. They're, the robes were, were loose like this one is. And he says the belt of truth is that they would wrap that belt around and you muffle your microphone and it would tighten everything around that. Now, what's the significance? In Ephesians 6, they're getting ready to go to war, right? Now, the war is not a war of flesh and blood. It's a spiritual war. And he's giving a word picture here is, you need to gather up all the looseness of your life and bring it under subjection. Now, notice what he says here. He says, gird up the loins of your mind. He's talking about gathering those loose thoughts and bringing them under subjection. Amen. And so, but all this, we see it. Football players 
Same illustration. You'll notice that especially running backs or the offensive-defensive line, their jerseys, they would get them as tight as they could get them. If you pay attention to their uniforms and whatnot, you'll see they're, they're very tight. Why is that? Because when it gets bound and gets tightened, it's harder to grab hope of. Okay? That's what he's talking about here. He says, you need to be focused on getting your mind right. You have too many lost thoughts that are just out there that cause distractions. Okay? You, you get in the picture here. And, and so he, we go and understand uh, that is, uh, what do we do? Now, uh, here again, we're focusing on grace. And when we're focusing on grace, we're focusing on salvation. Now remember, these people are going through persecution. They're going through suffering. They're needing some encouragement of how they're going to work through this. It holds true for us today. And the first thing that we have to be uh, disciplined about is getting our minds under control. Getting the right thoughts in there. Okay? So then he goes on, and we see it in Philippians chapter 4, verse number 8. He, he gives us a list of these things that we ought to think about. He says, you, uh, you need to think about these things that are true. See, when you're concentrating on your grace and your salvation, the truth of the matter is you're saved by grace. And we also understand when we're thinking about our salvation, it's based on truth. It's not based on feelings. Are, are you with me tonight? And so here I'm thinking on things that are true. He goes on in Philippians chapter 4 and he says, Think of those things that are honest. See, here's what Satan do. Satan, who is the father of lies, is he not? He's doing everything he can to disrupt honesty. And so he's firing these lies into you. And so when you're going through a difficult time or you're trying to live for the Lord Jesus Christ, all he has to do is to put some negative thoughts into your head and get you sidetracked. That's the, lost th- the loose thoughts that we're talking about that need to be gathered up. And then he goes on in Philippians and he talks about you need to think about those things that are just. You need to think about those things that are pure. Oh my, how we need to have that. Turn on the TV, you're not hearing too many pure things. I mean now, regular television is just as wicked as cable used to be before cable became too popular. You know, if you really wanted to hear some foul language, you'd go to the cable channel, didn't you? Hey... If you've got an HD antenna and you just get channel 5, channel 4, or those channels, you're getting just as much filth as you are if you go to the cables. And they're unpure things. And so what that does is those unpure things come in, and instead of you putting them under subjection, they're now having control over your thought processes. But then he goes on and says, uh, think of those things that are lovely. And then he goes and he says, and think of those things that are a good report. And like this, as he closes it out in Philippians 4.8, and any 
praise. Any praise you think upon these things. If you're going to be able to praise the Lord when you're going through your suffering, you better have your mind right. You've got to be thinking of things that are pure, holy. And you'd start thinking about, you know what? I don't deserve what I have in the Lord Jesus. It's because of His grace and His mercy. I don't understand why He would, would, he would, would put me under conviction. I don't know why He would come and visit me. I don't know why He allowed me to hear a gospel message. I don't know why He would look to me and say, I'm going to save you uh, because I don't deserve that. None of us deserve His grace. That's the reason why it's called grace. And so when I'm thinking about that, and I'm thinking about my salvation, when I'm going through a a, a difficult time, or or when I'm going through this battle, if you will, I'm thinking about my salvation. I'm thinking about one day I'm going to be in heaven. I'm thinking about I have abundant life. I'm thinking about I can be a victor. I'm thinking about I can be an overcomer. I'm thinking about uh, the goodness of God and the love of God and the love of Jesus Christ that's in me. I'm thinking about the Holy Spirit's in me and the Holy Spirit empowers me and the things that I never thought I'd be able to do I'm able to do and the reason why I'm able to do it is all because of the one who lives inside of me see when you start thinking like that you're going to have some praise upon your lips and you're going to be able to raise your hands and you're going to say thank you Jesus you're getting me through this and I'm telling you if the whole world caves in I understand this my salvation's intact and I understand one sweet glorious day I'm going to see you face to face and I'm going to spend all eternity giving you all praise and all glory. That's what helps you get through times of suffering, trials, and tribulation. But he doesn't stop there. He goes on and we see in 2 Corinthians chapter 10 verses 3 through 5 and 2 Corinthians chapter 10 verses 3 through 5 it says that we do not do not war in the flesh. He's reminding us that our war is not in the flesh. And we do not fight in the flesh. That's what he's talking about here in 2 Corinthians. Uh, Then he goes on and says that you can pull down any stronghold. Then he goes on and he says that every thought needs to come under captivity. Now the only way we're able to do that is when we've gotten our mind right. When we're thinking right. When, when we're looking at grace and salvation, we come to understand that I can bring those loose. Remember, when we're girding up our minds, those loose thoughts that spring up from time to time, I can bring that under captivity. And what happens? I now have control over my thought processes and my thought processes don't have control over me. Okay? And he moves on. In Isaiah chapter 26, verse number 3, talks about having perfect peace. Now, how can you have perfect peace? Well, it goes on and says that you have your mind stay on Him. Okay, so your mind is fixed, focused upon the Lord Jesus. 
And when you have your mind focused on the Lord Jesus, then you will have perfect peace. And because you have perfect peace, you also understand that the reason why you have perfect peace is because you kept your mind upon Him, but also because your salvation is based upon grace. And when you're saved, you can have perfect peace. No matter what comes in your life, you can have perfect peace. Many of you have gone through trials and tribulations. Many of you could testify tonight that if it wasn't for the Lord, you don't know where you would have been. All of us can testify to the fact that we have peace. Not just the peace of God, but we have peace with God. Okay, so we got that mind. Then he goes on and he says, be sober. Interesting word here. Be sober uh, has two words. First of all is intoxication. Second is indulgence. Now when he says to be sober, he could be talking about intoxicant. Talking about alcoholic beverages. Some of you know exactly what we're talking about. You were intoxicated. That means that the alcohol that you consumed was overriding your thought processes. That's the reason why you did stupid things. Amen? You do stupid things when you're intoxicated with alcohol. No one makes rational, clear decisions when they're intoxicated. Matter of fact, it's right the opposite. They'll do something stupid. I mean, just think about this. If you were in your right mind, when would you think that you couldn't walk a straight line, but it's okay that you get behind the wheel of an automobile. Well, nobody in their right mind would do something like that. You, you would start weighing out. Now, the chances are that I'm going to cross a double yellow line and I'll either hit somebody or a police officer is going to see me getting on the line and I'm going to get arrested. And the first DUI charge is that it's going to cost me a bundle of money. I could probably lose my license, which means I could very well lose my job. I mean, see, you don't think that thing out, do you? You just get in the car and says, let's go. It'd be like a man that I met. He was so drunk he could barely stand up. And I said, man, I, I, said, I, was, I said, are you okay? And he said, oh, yeah, I'm okay. And I said, uh, where are you going? He says, I'm going to my car. I said, you don't, you're not going to drive, are you? He said, yeah, because I sure can't walk. <laughs> That's what he told me. Now, does that sound from a person who's rational and clear thinking? No. Why? Because he's intoxicated. But the other word that's used for being sober is indulgence. Indulgence means that you've lost control. Now, you can go and you could apply it to alcohol too, but you could also use it in the realms of eating. You could use it for 
sex. I mean, we could go on and on and on. Now, understand, if you're intoxicated, that means that what you consume now has control over you. When you're indulging, that means you've lost control. Something controls you or you lose control. Someone that goes on a binge eating and, and they're, they're eating and they're eating and eating. You're thinking, uh, why, why are you doing that? And they said, I just can't help myself. You ever heard? I've said that before. Around Thanksgiving and whatnot. And, you know, we're all, that's the reason why at 2 o'clock in the afternoon, we're all zonked out on the couch. Because we've overindulged. And our system is out of control. It doesn't know what to do. That's the reason why you're going to sleep. That's the reason why you're going and says, that's the reason I buy these stretchy pants. <laughs> yeah, thank God for these stretchy pants. And then you feel miserable the rest of the day. And you'll say, I ate too much. Oh, I ate too much. And then when about 5 o'clock in the afternoon, what do you do? You go back and do it again. That's indulgence. That means that you're out of control. And so here it says here, he says, get your mind fixed, first of all, on the grace and salvation. And when you're thinking about that, understand that uh, you need to be sober in your thinking. In other words, you need to have a clear mind. Clear mind. Here again, going back, you've got to put that belt of truth around you. Because that's what holds it all together. Okay? And so, oh, it talks about uh, being, being sober. And, and, and that we now are fixed upon grace and we're on salvation. Oh, we're sober. We're clear thinking. We're, 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 we're rational in our thinking. Now, oh, when we're, fi- when we're focused like we should be, those temptations that come our way, that when we have a clear mind and we're focused on what we should be focused on, those temptations are not as overwhelming as if we had those lost thoughts going around where Satan comes in and says, one time's not going to matter. Oh, it's okay. Listen, moderation. I've heard believers, they said they're believers, that have no problem with consumption of alcoholic beverages. They'll say, it's just in moderation. I don't drink to get drunk. You're not thinking clear. You're not thinking clear. You're not thinking clear. When you're focused upon grace and you came to realize it was the grace of God that saved you. It was the love of Jesus Christ that saved you. It was Him dying in your place that saved you. And when you understand you did not deserve it, uh, that you did not warrant it, you couldn't do it because you, of your family name or of your, uh, your denominational lineup. It was all because of the grace of God. And when you understand, fully understand the grace of God, you want to have a clear mind and you don't want to have any lost thoughts going around because you come to realize that's when you're going to get messed up and that's when that temptation is going to come your way and you're going to fall into that trap that's been planted by Satan. Okay, so now, last thing. 
he talks about hope. Now, there's two kinds of hope. There's what we call dead hope. Dead hope goes like this. It's for those that want to be accepted by God when they die. Now, understand, majority, not everyone, majority of people, if you were to ask them, when you die, wouldn't you like to go to heaven? The majority is going to say, well, yeah, I want to go to heaven. When you talk about salvation, the majority are not going to curse you out or push you back, but they're going to start thinking, you know, that does sound pretty good. And and I like to know that I'm going to be taken care of and whatnot. I, I haven't met too many people who say, I hope I'm not accepted by God. I hope He'd just go ahead and smite me. I haven't met too many people like that. I'm not saying that they're not out there, but the majority of people want to be accepted by God. And their hope is when they die, that's exactly what God's going to do. Doesn't matter how they live, doesn't matter what they believe, but they're in their minds, they want to believe that God's going to accept them. That's a dead hope. That's a dead hope. Because you start talking to them and you start talking about repentance and you start talking about making a commitment to the Lord Jesus Christ and that's when they get a little fuzzy on you. Now they'll say things like this. Preacher, ain't none of us perfect. They're correct. But they also, in that very same breath, will say, I don't think God wouldn't accept me. I've been to a number of funerals and the testimony that person was laid out was not a testimony that they knew Jesus Christ as their personal Lord and Savior. But I hear things like, oh, they're in heaven now. God's going to take care of them. Say things like, well, God needed another angel. I guess they got one. All kinds of foolishness like that. That's dead hope. That's dead hope. That is a hope like you're saying, well, I hope the weather's going to be nice tomorrow. And it doesn't pan out that way. Or, or a hope that, oh, oh, oh do you, you think you're going to have enough money when you retire? I hope so. And we all know that could very well be that we don't. That's what we're talking about. And that's many people, and when they say, do you have hope? They'll say, oh, yeah, I got hope. But their hope is dead. Because they're putting all of their uh, eggs in one basket, if you will, because they've been good enough or God wouldn't reject me. Oh, he's a loving God. He wouldn't send me to hell. I mean, all those questions like that. And here the bottom line is that's dead hope. But notice the hope that he's talking about here. He's talking about a living hope. What is the difference? We're not putting our hope in someone or something. We're putting our hope 
upon the Lord of lords and the King of kings and the one true living God and His name is Jesus Christ. And my hope is not based on what I've done down here. It's not based on what I believe. It's based upon what Jesus Christ did for me. And what Jesus Christ has done for me, that's a living hope. Because when we die, our hope continues on. Because the Bible says that we have eternal life and we will not perish. We will be living forever. And that hope that we're looking towards is not some abstract figure. It's a a real and we're going to see him face to face and we're going to not be surprised that we got there because all this life here we've been basing our hope that Jesus Christ will do what he said he would do. And the Bible tells me that if I would accept what he has graciously given me the gift of salvation and I accept that and I base it upon my confession and my repentance but I put my trust in Jesus Christ and Jesus Christ alone. That's the hope that he's talking about. And when you start thinking about that you'll be able to make it whatever you're going through. I don't know. There's somebody here that's going through a difficult time. I'm telling you, you just need to get focused. You need to get focused. Get your mind right. You need to focus that you need to be sober in your thinking. And you need to go ahead and have a living hope, a lively hope, a hope in Jesus Christ and Jesus Christ alone. And I'm telling you, it will encourage you. It will strengthen you. And you will be able to get through this valley that you're walking through. You will be able to get through that suffering that you're going through. You'll be able to get through anything that life has to throw or Satan, his demonic forces, and you will understand that one sweet glorious day you will have that perfect peace. You will have a joy unspeakable and all because you placed your hope in the right person, Jesus Christ our Lord and Savior. Now, that's pretty good. That's encouraging to me because every time I get up to preach, I'm placing my hope not on how well Mike performs, not how well the choir is singing, not how well the band is playing. But we are able to get up and understand it's the power of God and the power of His Word. And when we say, do you think you're going to have a service? We don't have to say, well, we hope so, as if we have a dead hope. We'll be able to say, we know so. We know so. Why? Because if He shows up, we'll have church. If Mike doesn't show up, we're still going to have church. If we don't have a choir, well, we're still going to have church. If we don't have a band, we're still going to have church. Why? Because we're focused upon the grace and the love and what Jesus Christ has done for us. Amen.